You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise. And today we're going to be doing something very different. We're going to be doing two episodes kind of interconnected. Uh, Subjective are a new drum and bass duo. Well, they make all kinds of of music, uh, which comprises... Goldie, an absolute legend of British music, and uh, James Davidson. Together they make up a subjective, and uh, we were going to talk to them both together. Um, and in the end, uh, when James could make it, Goldie couldn't. When Goldie could make it, James uh, couldn't. So we talked to them separately. So what we're going to do is we're going to have like a pair of uh, of episodes, um, closely connected, parallel episodes, we should say. Firstly, we're going to be talking to James Davidson, who is um, a young drum and bass producer um, who worked with Goldie on The Journeyman and is now half of uh, Subjective. He's got his own uh, catalogue as well. Um, And then in the next episode, we're going to be talking with Goldie himself. Um, Subjective's new album, The Start of No Regret, is a fiercely eclectic beast with everything from deep house to hip-hop to... Uh, classic, classic jungle beats. It is brilliant, and it was an absolute pleasure to catch up with both of them. I hope you enjoy these two special editions of Line Noise. So today, we start off with James Davidson. Congratulations on the new album, by the way. Um, Thank you. I'm interested in your in your kind of working relationship. You engineered um, Goldie's 2017 album, The Journey Man, right? Was that, yeah. uh, when did you actually meet, though? So I think we met around about 2012. My recollection is that um, we met through, because we had, uh, through drum and bass, we've obviously got mutual friends. And uh, one really good friend is Paul Jubé, who was like a tight member of the Metalheads family and a really good friend of mine. And it was at Sun and Bass Festival in Sardinia. And it was an after party. And we just got talking and Goldie was there. Um, and I sent him across some music. At the time, I was in a, uh, I was in a, um, a duo called Ulterior Motive, me and Greg. And he really liked what he heard, and he then offered us, eventually, um, an album deal. Uh, and we released our album with him in 2014. Yeah. Uh, and he just liked the kind of, the ear that I had, and the, the songwriting questions, and there was just something about the production that he liked. Um, and he said, look, would you be up for coming over and engineering my like solo, an actual Goldie album, not Ruffage Crew? And I was like, wow, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, so that's kind of... And we, would, we were just friends to sort of say hello and like be polite and, and have a drink, but we, we hadn't spent like... I mean, now I've seen him all the time, you know, he's a close friend. Uh, but that was pretty nerve-wracking, that first day, going over to Thailand, knowing that I was going to engineer his album. And sort of sitting down with a blank logic project and going, okay, here we go, three, two, one, go. But uh, look, yeah, it worked out okay. Well, I, I was reading an interview um, with him or, or you both. I can't remember. He said basically he set you a trap when you were doing it. Like he set you something so ludicrously difficult. Um, what, what was your memory of that? Well, that he likes to like. He does like to to try. I think it's not so much a trap as in the one particular trap it's like he'll use terminology and words and energies and movements and then i have to kind of interpret them 
So it was more like that, you know, it's like, I wanted to be big in the middle and change time signatures and do this and do that. And I was like, yeah, okay. What he liked was like, there was no ego there. I wasn't trying to impress him. A lot of the time I would say, that's not going to work. But then I'd try it anyway. And 50% of the time I was right. 50% of the time he was right. So I think that, that got us off to a sort of a good start of like, get rid of the ego. Don't worry about looking stupid in front of each other. And, um, and yeah, these traps, he would he would lay but i just kind of go into them willingly do you know what i mean and say this might not work or this definitely won't work and then when it did work i was like do you know what fair play that sounds amazing i never would have done that it's all completely technically wrong but sounds amazing do you think that's why you you eventually formed um subjectives you eventually formed a duo because you you, you know you, you responded you 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 tried things and also you you gave your own opinion hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it was, we had two sessions booked for that album and we had it done pretty much halfway through that second session. So then because of that journeyman album, there was a lot of down tempo stuff on it. It's like 50% drum and bass, 50% like songs and like down tempo or whatever you want to call it, however you would, uh, genre you would put it in. And that kind of, he saw how interested I was at like approaching the mix differently for that kind of music or, arrangement or you know vocal choices or whatever um but I knew my role there and the role was engineer wasn't I wasn't producing you know so I didn't want to overstep my if we hit a like a brick wall um I would suggest things here and there but I knew that I was the engineer you know I wasn't gonna be the producer and I think he liked some of my suggestions and then at the end of the session I played him a couple of like down tempo things I've been working on he was like wow, this is amazing. And we like, we got on so well. And it was kind of like therapy for us both, you know, being in the studio, just laughing the whole time. And it was just, everything came so easy. You know, obviously it's hard work, but it's like fun, hard work. Uh, and I think that's what led to it. It was like, right, let's just keep doing stuff. You know, let's just make, because he's never actually had a production partner before. He's always had like um, engineers or whatnot. But yeah, so it was a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big deal for me when he said, okay, let's, I'm ready to like, actually open up and like let's go 50 50 on an actual production thing yeah what's your favorite all-time goldie track if you had to choose i mean it's in a city life's hard to like hard to to beat isn't it but then he's done saint angel as well i really i really love that that second half was like life-changing for me with the mentasms on saint angel um, and then Terminator, all the old, the old sort of... But it's hard to say if that was, like, objectively looking at it because I've just got so many memories attached to that. When you're, like, when you're growing up and you hear this music, it's not just about if it's a good song or not, is it? It's, it's like what it meant to you at the time. And those ones particularly, yeah, they really re- resonated with me. Uh, you mentioned Inner, Inner City Life. On the new album, you use the Inner City Life beat, right? On Sunlight? What it is, it's a, it's not actually the inner city life beat. I went through all of the, because we had the album and it was almost fully formed. And then Pete Tong heard it because Goldie was doing an interview about 25 years of um, Timeless. Had an interview with Pete Tong. And at the end, Pete was like, well, so what are you up to now? And he said, oh, I'm still doing that um, subjective thing with James. And he said, oh, let me have a listen to it. And he was just so into it. And he was like, let me see if I can take this from one side of Sony to the other. And we put it out on 360, which is what's happening. And Pete was listening to the, had his A&R hat on. He was like, look, this is, this is so strong, but it's like, how about threading in a couple of like, 
instead of making it subjective, make it sort of Goldie and James present subjective and then threading in some of your older influences or whatever. Because he's like, I know you don't want to do drum and bass as subjective, but maybe you could do like the 160, 150 older kind of drum and bass. And I was like, okay, perfect. I was at Thailand at the time. So I just opened up some of his old um, dats that he's got laying around all over the studio of the old drums from the old sessions. And there's one NT break, which has got that kind of like scrubbing, like sound from the um, the Eventide uh, harmonizer. So I took that and one part of it and then layered up. It's quite a lot of breaks on that sunlight. But yeah, one of them is definitely from the same session as Inner City Life. Definitely, 100%. Because what they would do is they would like run a break through a piece of hardware, live like messing around. So you've got like three minutes of like unusable distorted horribleness and then suddenly something could just pop out and shine and that's what i cut out and like in a city life would have used a different part of it but yeah it's pretty much from the same um from the same kind of dat for sure i mean it works brilliantly but was there a moment where you thought you know in a city life i know it's not the same beat but you know it has that similar kind of sound was there a moment when you thought like should I be doing this? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's the DNA is the same. So it's Goldie, obviously, is Goldie. And the uh, like, like that, the whole thing started, even though it's easy to like listen to the beat and uh, tune in and go, oh, yeah, Inner City Life. What really gives it that DNA is the piano was played by Robin Smith, who played the piano on the All of Timeless. Right. So his chords and his, like the, the, like, the accidentals and the where he's, the inversions that he's using is going to be that's where the feeling comes from, you know? And then with Lady Blackbird, she's got that amazing, like Diane Charlemagne's kind of got that unique voice. So it's like, so all the bits are there. So it's just kind of like a cousin, isn't it? It's not like, yeah, put them together. It's not a one for one, but there's the the feeling of it. And that's because it's Robin Smith. It's because it's Goldie. It's because it's the dats from the breaks. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I never thought, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I thought, fucking hell, I can't believe I'm getting to do this. Um, and another another tune of the album that I really like towards the end is Dollars Hill Roughage. Is that mm. a reference to the sort of Four Hero, uh, working with Four Hero back in... 100%, yeah. So Dollars Hill was where they had the um, original Reinforced Studio. Yeah. So where Goldie sort of cut his teeth with um, Four Hero, Mark Mack and Dago and those guys. That was where he kind of learnt his craft. Um and we, so we did the track and we just rolled it out and it was like a, a kind of homage to those guys as well and what he'd learned and like playing around with breaks and the edits and the times and, and then we were going to call it Dollars Hill and then we thought, let's just call it Dollars Hill Ruffage because then it's another sort of nod to the Ruffage crew, Dollars Hill, because it, it's, it's unashamedly um, just nodding the head to that sound, you know, it's like what would... It's more Goldie for sure than subjective, isn't it? But then I'm producing it with him. But then I've I've known that Goldie sound for so many years. It was uh, I think that's going to come across pretty well that one. But it's definitely a massive nod to uh, to reinforce for sure. For hero. I mean, look, when you when you start to make a track, because one of the the things about the new album is there's so many different sort of genres of music on it. Hmm. When you start to make a track, 
who how do you sort of decide like the bpm how do you decide where you're gonna go and, and like how do you ever think like right this is going to be uh sort of hip-hop-ish track this is going to be drum and bass or does does it just kind of flow naturally it generally flows naturally i would say like occasionally it's very rare that we'll have a track and it's like let's speed it up to it or let's slow it down or it it starts off with a feeling the main thing is it's got you've got to feel something goldie's like He's got sensitive, you know, like when the hair stand up on your arm, that kind of thing. He's got, he's very sensitive to that. So as soon as we're playing around, with, I could like write some beats or he can come up with some samples or, uh, or some reference of, a, of an old film and he likes to want us to do something with that kind of feel. You just keep chipping away. And as soon as something resonates and it's like you look at each other and stand up and like, whoa, what's this? That then dictates the rest of the track. That can be a sample, it can be a drum loop. And that will really inform the speed of the track. Obviously, if it's going to be more like, like a Dasai Menace or a Fathoms or a more techno-led track, it's going to be between 125, 135, you know, yeah. so we know we're going to do that. But if it's going to be something like the Green Tea Pang Dark Tune, it's just going to be, or the Tom Mish one, it doesn't really matter. It's just whatever feels right with the BPM. How do you decide what vocalists to work with? There are some really, really brilliant voices on the new album. I mean, Goldie's got his kind of like little black book, hasn't he, of amazing vocalists with, <laughs> and he always has done with, um, you know, Terry Walker and Tyler Daly from Children of Zoos and Natalie Duncan, Natalie Williams, Cleveland Watkiss. So it's always like that pool to, to pick from and we trust them and we write with them and we know them. And then, for example, on this, this new one, we had uh, obviously Lady Blackbird came in uh, and that was a, a heads up from Giles Peterson, actually. And mm -hmm. he said, oh, you need to check out this girl, this woman. She's amazing. And then we checked her out and we went, wow. Spoke to her. And yes, then she got involved. Um, and Crisia La Medusa. So she, she's on Breakout and she's on Start of No Regret. And she's actually the girlfriend of one of the artists on Metalheads called Faze. Mm -hmm. And we've been known Faze and been working with him for years. Um, he's from Belgium. And Crisio just come through, you know, you know, someone just like just out of your peripheral vision and then just kind of notice how good her voice was. And then just was like, let's let's try something together. And it's quite hard to get into Goldie's fold of, of vocalists that he wants to work with. And she really did. Yeah, she smashed it and she was great to work with. And and so like um, willing to, to do retake stuff and do different harmonies. And, and that's what Goldie really loves, because what you could do is when you're in Thailand, and we're writing until late, then you can phone someone up in Europe and say, right, here's the, here's the kind of guide. We go to sleep, we wake up, and then in the emails are kind of like rough vocal. So it's really, really good way of working and keeping like the ball just rolling the whole time because it's like there's always, 20, always an hour in the day which someone's working on it. And uh, we work really fast as well. The mix downs take a long time at home when I get back to Bewley. But the actual writing, we write as fast as we can just to keep that energy going, you know? Not to get in a, a loop of like a snare drum loop or whatever, just trying to over engineer stuff. Because I think Goldie said something about uh, recording, I think your first album, um, Act One, that it was the first time you'd actually had fun recording music. So it was actually a, a fun process. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the whole thing was like, like I said, you know, like I said it was a little bit like um, therapy or something. It was, it's the whole thing is if it's not fun, then we'll just stop and go and play backgammon or something. It's really because I'm over there in Thailand, in Phuket, having an amazing time. And Mika's really looking after me, his wife. 
and it's a beautiful house and we're making the music and smiling having fun it the whole thing is about like that positive energy just flowing and and having a lovely time obviously you, you occasionally you hit like a little creative like writer's block or whatever but then you just move on and move on and then it just it just comes out i mean this is like so we wrote the first album we've done this album we've actually written a soundtrack album and almost finished it. We, we just there's this it's really hard to not write music out there and it's um yeah it's very very good fun i love it and would it be maybe because maybe because of the the there's no shackles of a specific bpm if mm-hmm. you're struggling one day with like a techno drum and bass tune, then you can just do some ambient piano thing, or you can work on some pad work or drones. Or, do you know what I mean? There's always a, a, want somewhere to turn and somewhere which is going to make you feel excited. And would it be fair to say that um, your environment very much influenced the kind of music you were making? I'm thinking particularly um, on the first album, it's very relaxed, very relaxing, um, ambient um, I've never been to Thailand, but I, I can sort of imagine, uh, in my mind anyway, maybe this doesn't make sense, it's a kind of imagine like uh, the music you might make if you were there. No, 100%, yeah. I mean, it certainly does inform it, doesn't it, like where you are. Like when I'd leave the studio, look out, there, you're looking over the jungle and there's just like wildlife everywhere. And now we have written roughage crew tracks there, so like darker drum and bass tracks, but it is, you have to kind of force it, but you you can, you can, um, get into the mindset and do different music. Um, for example, a lot of the second album, like Dallas or Roughage and those kind of tracks. But I would say 100% the environment has quite a large effect on what you're writing naturally. And so the first album was more of that just stream of consciousness of like, let's just do whatever we want. And the second album is like, let's do what we want, but let's pay a bit more attention and make it a nice coherent thing and and a bit more... I don't know, complete as an album, maybe. I mean, I'm really proud of the first album, but the second album definitely feels like a um, a level up. I think it is. I would say so, yeah. Thank you. That's good. You could have said, nah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, this was something I think, I think it was something that Goldie said, but I'm quite interested to, to know what you make of it. He said the, the new album is influenced by rave culture, jungle, drum and bass, which all makes sense, and indie influences. Um, I, I'm i not sure I hear so much indie in the music. Are, are you a fan of it? I mean, and where do you think it comes across in the new album? Yeah, I mean, I guess the indie, definitely. I mean, I was, I was a huge fan of indie, like, when I was growing up, and uh, not so much now, but then I guess there's not so much of it around now, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, if you look at stuff like Lost, maybe, with the, like, with the guitars and yeah. the, the wah, and maybe parts of um, brush strokes maybe and so, some of the melodies that he uses as well are very very uh, I had to rein some in some of them were very very Noel Gallagher and I was like it's a little bit too Noel Gallagher that one do you know what I mean but um, I think what he ma- mainly means is like the influences of the 90s especially like the rave the drum and bass that blur oasis do you know that that time that time yeah, stand, yeah. the energy in the music scene, I guess, because like he worked with Noel, didn't he? Noel Gallagher and Bowie, and they were all crossing over, and the Prodigy and all that kind of stuff were working with all these different people. So maybe that was made like instead of being completely, um, literally meaning indie, maybe it's like the energy and the excitement of back then. Again, like uh, I find that that kind of time very interesting, um, and. I've often wondered why there wasn't more sort of 
rock or indie drum and bass crossover because there was, you know, Temper Temper and there was that David Bowie album. But no one really, not well, not no one really did, but not many people did it. I mean, like, you know, with house music, you had things like Screamadelica and things, but like sort of rock drum. I know what you mean. Yeah, you thought someone, especially he's friends with Skin from Skunk and Ancy, that would have made like a good sort of crossover, wouldn't it? Do you know what I mean? Nothing really. Yeah. I'm sure we could be proven wrong and people are like, well, what about this and what about that? But yeah, I do know what you mean. Again, there was something else that Goldie said in a recent interview. I'm interested to know what, what you think. He said that no one appreciates what drum and bass has done for electronic music. Do you, do you think people do appreciate it? I think what he means is like, well, I can't put words into his mouth, but I, I think people appreciate it, but not quite the profound effects that it's had. You know, like it definitely spurs like new genres, like, you know, like garage, grime, um, that none of that would have been there, would it, if it wasn't for drum and bass? Yeah. You know, certain, especially certain um, aspects of it, like we're, we're dubstep with like people like distance and, you know, those bass noises um, definitely came from, but it's it's kind of nice that way because it's like, I don't know, it's, um, it definitely has had such a huge, profound influence on all dance music, you know, like Underground Resistance knowing and, and loving who Goldie is, you know, and that, that, yeah, you wouldn't have necessarily put them two together, but yeah, they have a massive respect for each other, you know, with the techno stuff. So yeah, I do know what he means because people are really quick to say, I, I don't know, for example, Skrillex linking him with dubstep and linking him with blah, blah, blah. It's like those links are a lot smaller than maybe the deep rooted drum and bass links, but the drum and bass has got such a, it casts such a big shadow, doesn't it? From like the jump up stuff to the shy effect stuff to the Goldie bits to the hype things, to the Randall to the Fabio and Groove Rider. There's a lot, there's a big, wide, sprawling decades of different influences, isn't there? So maybe that's got part of it as well. I'm kind of interested in what you you make of this, because it, it feels to me like, and this is seeing it totally from the outside and might be absolutely nonsense, but it feels to me a bit like there's sort of the drum bass scene, which has been very, very healthy and more or less underground, um, not in terms of like the music making, but like in terms of its like its impact on the wider charts. And it seems to me there's that. And at the same time, there's people talking about like the jungle kind of revival these days. People maybe like who wouldn't listen to, I don't know, like a 2015 Metalheads tune or something like that, but are going, you know, kind of reviving people are making house, but also reviving jungle. I don't know. What do you think of that? Do you, do you see it as like being two separate things because I mean, you're obviously I think, so. I think it is I think there's room for everything and um, look at Paul Walford right I mean he started special requests probably 10 years ago was it yeah and he won awards and and he was doing that revival thing do you know what I mean just putting out breaks and doing it a different way and you've got all the, the crew with like Sherelle and all that that lot doing their thing and smashing it there's room for everyone you know as long as like everyone's got respect from where it came from and and uh but there is definitely a, a revival coming through for the for the um, for that jungle sound, isn't there? Hundred yeah. percent. And what's interesting is like for those kids, say if you know, say if it's a twenty-one-year-old DJ, guy, girl, whatever, doesn't matter. You could you could drop in like a a 
1996 track from Suburban Bass and they, they wouldn't know whether it was like a brand new dub or, you know, like an old... It's quite interesting that to me, like when it spanned their lifetimes, probably before they were born. And then is it new? Is it old? It doesn't really matter, does it? As long as it's it's good and it makes everyone move and... Yeah, it is interesting, yeah. Well, I like it, I like it. I like the, the revival stuff. And the last and most, most important thing to ask, who wins when you play backgammon? Well... This is a, there's a funny story about this. The short answer is me now. So, <laughs> so we were our business partner from the the boss at um, One Hundred Records, Fallen Tree One Hundred. Gary, he treated us. He took us out to Krabby on this amazing yacht for two nights. Um, and I got a bit cocky and beat Goldie one too many times at backgammon. So of course he throws me overboard. <laughs> uh, over I go in my glasses. And then the glasses are lost. This is Saturday. Uh, and now I can't see. So now I, the only thing I had was some prescription sunglasses. Put them on. So now I'm in Saturday until Wednesday, morning till night, in these dark glasses, looking some, like some idiot in a from 1990s club scene. Uh, yeah, got back. And he was just like, oh, it's just, it's just so lucky, just so lucky. But now I think he's had to realise, like, you know, the new, there's a new sheriff in town. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Definitely a lesson in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, it's let, let him win, maybe. That's the lesson. Let him win and keep your glasses. <laughs>